Maybe I'll hold questions till the end, till everyone else streams in. So, uh, any thoughts, comments about the gospel or the homily today before we move into the liturgy? Anything? Okay. So it's been about a month since we talked about the liturgy. Remember where we're at? We're at the first prayer. The first prayer, the prayer of the first antiphon. We did get through the litany. And so now we'll be talking. This is on, well, you know what? I'm going to hold two books, and that way I can speak both languages. Okay. So we're talking about um, page 4 in the old book or page 6 in the new book. New book is fatter. And I don't Oh, uh, you have a new book if the page numbers are different on each side. You have an old book if the page numbers are the same on both sides of the page. There we go. So page 4 in the old book. 4 slash 4 or page 5 slash 6. There we go. And actually, let me put these in the back so people don't have to worry about that. I'll put them right here. There we go. Hey, welcome. So, as I'm sure you all remember from a month ago, we got through the first litany. And now we have this first prayer. And this is called the prayer of the first antiphon. It is um, always said in silence, said quietly by the priest, usually during the deacon's part of saying the litanies. And um, so I'll read through the prayer. The Lord our God, whose power is unimaginable and glory is incomprehensible, whose mercy is immeasurable, and love for mankind is ineffable. In your kind heartedness, O Master, look down upon us and upon this holy house, and grant us and those praying with us your rich mercies and compassion. So, oh, excellent. There we go, that works. Okay. Just in time, because I needed a pen. So this prayer follows a very um, common formula of prayers within the church. The prayer has an intro, a, I'm just making this up as I go, request, and then a close. Okay? So when you have really long prayers, like the prayer, the kneeling prayers of Pentecost, or the prayers of the blessing of the waters that we just had at Theophany, that introduction could be like, 10 lines, 20 lines even. And you know it's the introduction because the introduction is always extolling what God has done. Talking about God's um, greatness and His beauty. And so um, in some of these prayers that we'll get to further on, you'll see that part even longer and more drawn out. But um, at a minimum, it always... They're having fun in there. Um... This is, not all the prayers follow this format, but many do. So this part is, uh, we'll say, God's, the introduction, God's qualities, 
and actions. So it might say, you who uh, died for our salvation and rose on the third day. Okay. And, um, and then the request. That's where you get to the meat of it. So let's find these parts. Okay, and then the, the close, sometimes there's a little close before you get to the loud part, but the out loud part, aloud, is always the close. So that's an easy one to pick out. Okay, so where is the request? Requests come in the form of what part of speech? What? A verb. We'll go with a verb. Imperative if you want. A verb, right? So we we got to find that verb. So let's look in this... Look down, and then there's a second request. Grant. Exactly. So that's the request part of it. So everything before that is all the introduction, talking about God's qualities or His actions. So in this prayer, it says, O Lord our God, whose power is unimaginable, glory is incomprehensible, mercy is immeasurable, and love for mankind is ineffable. What's a, a, a theme that you see within the, that part? It's a theme. Qualities, uh, qualities of God, and what about them? What sort of similar format do you see? With there are four of them, right? Huh? Yeah, no, not understanding. That could be a theme. They have that prefix. We have a prefix un, in, im, in. All of those mean not, 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 not. Right? So not imaginable, not comprehensible, not measurable, and not effable. Anyone want to take a stab at what effable means? Go ahead, Melanie. Speakable. What? Speakable. There we go. Was that Tim? Yeah, thank you. So speakable. So not speakable. You can't even describe God. Okay? Sorry to put you on the spot. So um, all of these have that not, 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 not. And that's something for us to know. This We talked about this in the class on Friday night. A little plug for Basics of Orthodoxy. You would already know this if you were here on last Friday. And what's that word? you remember? you guys remember? You were there. Cataphatic. Uh, okay, cataphatic is an adjective. And that this is a, a Greek word. And it means the knots. So when you hear cataphatic, you should think anything that has a not preposition. Undiscernible, unknowable, incomprehensible, all of those things are nots. Okay? And cataphatic is a, a description of how we talk about God very often. Not all the time. But oftentimes we talk about God in terms of what He's not. So you look at this prayer, He's not imaginable, like you can't even imagine what He is. Incomprehensible, we can't really comprehend who God is. Immeasurable, you can't begin to say, oh, how tall is God? How wide is God? And ineffable, you can't even really speak about God fully because God is so completely other from us. So the reason that the church uh, has, start, has used cataphatic language and the opposite is called apophatic, and that's, as you can imagine, the opposite is what something is, whereas this is what something is not. The reason why the church did this is because, uh, here's a little fun little diagram, okay? So imagine that this is God, okay? We don't know what's in there. 
We don't. We can't because we're created beings. He's uncreated, completely unknowable, except in as much as he, he reveals himself to us. So what we can do, instead of trying to describe him there, because that gets perilous, and the church says, you know, sometimes when people try to describe what's in there, they get it wrong, and they go off into heresy. And so what the church does instead is they say, well, he's not measurable, so it's something outside of God. He's not knowable. He is not comprehensible. He's ineffable. And so you see what happens is as we describe more of these things, we kind of get to the border of what God is without actually getting into what God is. So that's why this language is very common within our prayers and our descriptions of God. Yeah. So do we use apophatic descriptions when we describe like the mother of God and the saints? Yeah, and we use apophatic with God as well. We say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's pretty apophatic. Um, or that God is pre-eternal, you know, eternally existing, or however you want to describe that. Like as in more honorable or the most blessed. Yeah. Yeah, those are all apophatic statements. So they're stating what is, not what is not. Yeah. 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 So that could be apophatic. Yeah. So when we talk about Christ's actions in the world, or God in Trinity or God the Father's actions within creation, yeah, then we can be pretty apophatic because they're things that actually happened. So we're not describing things that haven't been revealed, but things that have been revealed. So the things that we describe as apophatic are things that have been revealed to us. So, <clears throat> yeah. Is that like when we talk about God's energies and His presence? Yeah, it's sort of, that's where, this is just a, a diagram more for this, but there was a question about uh, God's essences and energies. So, here's another circle that's God, okay? And we can't know God except what He reveals to us. Okay? So anything that's revealed to us, and this is... Uh, we'll do just really brief theology here, okay? Because um, it's a good question. And this gets back to St. Gregory Palamas, um, who we celebrate every Lent. And um, what it is, is can, the question is, can we experience God? Yes. Yes. Apparently not in the West. Not fully. We can't experience God. God, God. Not just sort of things about God. Okay, so in uh, this was Saint Gregory Palamas said, yes, we can experience God because people are experiencing this in the monastic life through the Jesus prayer all the time. You know, the uncreated light, these experiences of God, and so those are uh, precisely described as divine energies, which always is a little bit of a strange word, for energies. Because we think of like electricity, but um, it just means like, I mean, it comes from ergos, which means work. So um, divine energies are what we experience, whereas this in here is the divine essence. Okay, knowable only to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Never knowable to us, not even in eternal life, we will never know this. Because we are created beings. We're entirely different from uncreated. So, uh, but divine, the big question is, these experiences of God, these divine energies, is that an experience of God? Or is that just something that God gives us that's not really Him? And the church has said, yes, it's an experience of God. 
So the divine energies, that's why it says divine, right? It's, it's coming from God. And I could spend a lot of time parsing this all out more, but I'll leave it at that. So um, a little bit different from this, because this is more trying to describe qualities of God. Yeah, so questions about that? Okay, so now we have a little bit of a critical mass. Um, well, maybe at the very end, I'll give, save some time. I wanted to leave a little bit more time for any questions about last week in case a week of percolating caused some more things to come up. So, But we'll continue with the liturgy for now. So again, we're on, if you have the old book with the same page number on both sides, we're on page 4. If you have the new book with different page numbers on each side, we're on page 5, 6. So this is the prayer of the first antiphon, which is said during that first long litany of the liturgy. And then we we had talked about the introduction. It's talking about God, the big request. And this is that God looks down upon us in this holy house, and that he grants us what? His rich mercies and compassion. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So just in the first prayer, we get a really clear sense of the things that we are asking of God. And then we have the closing for to you are do all glory, honor, and worship to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. So uh, now we have the, the first antiphon, which is right after that prayer. And this is, so this, the practice of antiphonal singing, uh, antiphon is, um, uh, antiphonal singing is normally when you have two choirs and they're singing back and forth. One choir, then the other choir, then the other, one choir, then the other choir. That's what antiphonal singing. Or within a choir, one part, another part, one part, another part. Um, and antiphonal singing is something that um, was predominant within what we call the Great Church of Hagia Sophia in Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. And in that church, they had two magnificent choirs, and they would sing antiphonally back and forth. Things that work really well for antiphonal singing are like psalms, where you go verse by verse by verse. Um, And so antiphonal singing um, was a a common practice there. And so that has remained within our practice within the church. Uh, If you know your liturgics a little more, or you came from a Russian tradition, they do something called the tipika, which are uh, a different set of uh, things that are sung here. And that comes from the monastic tradition. So in the, the church practice today, there are things that come from the monastic tradition, which is sort of centered around the monastery of St. Savas in Palestine and other monasteries. And then there's what's called the cathedral rite, or the cathedral practice, which mostly comes from the cathedral of Hagia Sophia. So these two practices, they, they did things a little bit differently liturgically, and that's fine. And so what we have today is we have a mix of those two things. So any questions so far? Yeah. It could be, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. So St. Irenaeus would be yeah, in the first, second century. So, um, so yeah, antiphonal singing actually, well, singing of psalms goes well before the Christian church um, in the Jewish practice. And I don't know if it was antiphonal then in the, in the temple, but the singing of psalms. Yeah. Yeah, and the Greek theater, yeah, then there's the chorus, and then, yeah. So, so this antiphonal singing exists every, uh, lots of places. So, um, and typically there's a verse in between. You see it in the, the red lettering, the italicized lettering, it says verse, appointed verse. And so this is just a hymn to the Theotokos. Um, 
And then we have the next small litany. And this is a, uh, a common small litany again and again in peace. Let us pray to the Lord. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, and protect us, O God, by your grace. And then we have this last prayer that we really took apart uh, about a month ago when we talked through what that last prayer is saying. So I won't repeat that. The, the last petition, I should say, the last petition. So then we get to the prayer. This is the set prayer of the second antiphon on page 6 or page 10, depending on your book. O Lord, O God, save your people and bless your inheritance. Guard the complement, or it should be the fullness of your church. Sanctify those who love the majesty or the beauty of your house. Glorify them in return by your divine power, and do not forsake us who hope in you. So you see already with this prayer, it's not in this format. It's jumping straight to the request. So the entire prayer is request, and it has a lot of requests. Every verb, save your people, guard, sanctify, and glorify. And do not forsake. So a lot of things that we're asking within there. Um, any questions about that prayer? So some of the translations in there aren't quite what I would say are, are the most accurate. So sometimes I change it. <laughs> um, but there's a, that phrase that I've mentioned before, sanctify those who love the beauty, or in this case it says the majesty of your house. So in the prayer we're asking that those who love the beauty of God's house be made holy. Any questions? Okay. So we'll move forward. And then it has an out loud, for yours is the dominion, and yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. So then we move on to the second antiphon. And the second antiphon is um, a request to Christ, the Son of God, that He save us. And this second antiphon changes depending on the day of the week and also depending on the season or feast day. Um, you can always tell when it's different because the congregation goes, Oh, risen from the dead, and then the choir says something else. Yeah. <laughs> Look in your bulletins, people. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, so this, uh, the phrase in the middle there, who are risen from the dead, if you only come to Sunday liturgies, you wouldn't know this, but that's only on Sundays we say that. Every other day of the week, unless it's a great feast, we say the thing down at the bottom, save us, O Son of God, who are wondrous in the saints. Okay, so because Sunday is a feast of the resurrection, we celebrate the fact that he has risen from the dead. It's a small Pascha every Sunday. And then as we heard uh, last week, I think we were still doing it, maybe? Or definitely the week before for Theophany. Save us, O Son of God, who are baptized by John in the Jordan. Save us, O Son of God, who are born in a cave for our salvation. There are many different um, uh, phrases that we have in there. For the great feasts of Christ. So, questions? Anything? So, yes? I know it's so when you said it, it's because it's the same as who were. So it's in plural. When we say. Who? Not plural, but the uniform. Yeah, well, it's, it's you were. Yeah, you were. No, what are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, are you talking about the fact that it's past tense? No. Oh, I, I got you. So this gets into you've 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 struck upon a chord with me. So uh, some of our verbs here 
are hangovers from Elizabethan English. So when we took things over from Elizabethan English, some of them, some of these, they weren't even in Elizabethan English. They were translated directly from the Greek. But for whatever reason, we've maintained some of these things. So let's go back up to the second antiphon there. And the out loud part for yours is the dominion. And yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Is that plural? Kingdom, power, and glory? It's plural. So what should it be? R. Yeah. So these are things that uh, come from the Elizabethan practice. Elizabethan English. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then, so likewise, that sometimes this save us or son of God who, um, who was, no, what is it? Who is, who is risen from the dead. And sometimes it's, it's just a grammatic thing people don't realize. You say he is. When you're saying you, you have to say are or were. So. And, and that, um, yeah. part, of, part of why we don't realize is because so often we do third person with who, but it, it doesn't come up very often. I wouldn't yeah. say you very often with a who. You who are, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you have who there, people get confused a little bit. They they don't figure out what verb tense. So yeah, that's another reason as well. So So then uh, immediately after that we uh, have what is a small creed? So we have the Nicene Creed that we'll be saying later in the liturgy. But this small creed was inserted in the 6th century under Emperor Justinian, um, specifically to target heresies that were, heresy that was occurring at that time. So uh, we'll read this. It says, Only begotten Son of, and Word of God, you who are immortal and did condescend for our salvation to become incarnate of the Holy Theotokos and of a Virgin Mary, without change becoming man, who was crucified, again it should be you were, who were crucified, Christ our God, by death, trampling down upon death, you who are one of the Holy Trinity, glorified with the Father and the Holy Spirit, save us. So if you look at that language, you can see the language is very similar to the Nicene Creed, saying this, 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 this. And so that's that's exactly what you would say, call this a creedal statement. And there are creedal statements even in the New Testament, very early creeds that uh, St. Paul references in some of his letters. Yeah, so this is exactly about Christ. Christ being the only got, only begotten Son. Um, and I, you know, I'm off the top of my head, I can't remember which heresy this was. In the 6th century, it probably would have been the Monophysites uh, about Christ's will um, or His nature, I mean. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a stressing that both what He's fully God He's immortal, he's the only begotten Son and Word of God, and also that he is fully man without change becoming man. Think about that. So he didn't change at all, and yet he became man. Because in Christ, it's, uh, the percentages don't work. It's 100% God and 100% human. So the God part didn't change at all. No change. And yet also, he is uh, fully man as well. Okay. 
So, so then we get to the next litany, and it's, I won't repeat it because it's the same litany as before, and the prayer of the third antiphon. You who granted us these common prayers spoken in agreement, introduction, and who promised to grant the petitions of two or three who call upon your name, introduction still, whenever you see who, that's a good point. Then we get to the verb, fulfill now also the petitions of us, your servants, for our benefit, giving us in this present age the knowledge of your truth, and in the age to come, granting us eternal life. So the introduction is talking about how when we pray together, we will receive things from God. So he's saying now we're praying together. That's what the prayer is saying. Look, God, we're praying together. We're all together. We're unified. So please fulfill these petitions, giving us in this age the knowledge of your truth and in the age to come granting us eternal life. Okay, so that's the third antiphon. And then we get to the small entrance. So, uh, the, the prayer, I'm sorry, the, the singing of the third antiphon, which is in one book, it is at the bottom of page 8, and in the other book, it's at the top of page 14. It just says, The choir chants the appointed apolitikion with its verses. So, <clears throat> apolitikion means dismissal hymn. So the other book says the choir chants as a refrain the dismissal hymn of the resurrection in the appointed mode of the hymn of the saint of the day. So, um, normally, <coughs> this is called the third antiphon, but oftentimes in practice it's just sung one time. On feast days you'll hear us sing it three times before the priest and the deacon and the, the altar boys process out. So on feast days we'll sing it three times with the verses in between. Properly it's sung three times every single time, but the common practice is, is to sing it once. These resurrectional hymns, as you know, they rotate through. So you keep hearing the same ones. They are, they're on an eight-week cycle for the eight modes. Um, and so those become familiar as you uh, attend church for years. So that's the, the hymn before the entrance, and then we have the small entrance. As the priest is, is leaving the sanctuary, he says this prayer. O Master, Lord our God, who established in the heavens the orders and hosts of angels and archangels to minister to your glory. So that's the, the introduction. So he has established all of the angels that minister to his glory. And our request is, along with our entrance, bring about the entrance of your holy angels who are concelebrating and glorifying your goodness with us. For to you are due glory, honor, and worship to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, now and ever, into ages of ages. Amen. So that's nice. We're asking angels to join with us. Right? Does that really happen? There's St. Yakovos of Evia. People are blind. I don't see what takes place. They don't see what takes place in church during the liturgy. Once I was serving and I couldn't make the great entrance because of what I saw. I suddenly felt someone pushing me by my shoulder and guiding me toward the Holy Prothesis. That's the table for the great entrance when he's taking up the chalice and the paten. I thought it was the chanter and said to myself, Oh, the blessed one, such irreverence. He's entered through the beautiful gate and is pushing me. The royal gates, the center gates. I turned around and saw a huge wing that the archangel had laid on my shoulder and that he was guiding me to make the great entrance. What amazing things take place in the altar during the divine liturgy. 
Sometimes I can't handle it, and so I pass out in a chair, and thus some concelebrators conclude that I've got something wrong with my health, but they don't realize what I see and hear. What wings on those angels, my child? So, that's what exists. If only we other priests could experience that. (laughs) But what we have to remember is we have to remember that's reality. That's reality. Just because we don't see it doesn't make it less real. It's our, our own blindedness that makes us unable to see it. So you think like you have these really dirty, foggy goggles on, you can barely make things out. Would you say that's reality? No, that's not. That's because your vision is obscured. So this is what occurs in the liturgy, is that our vision is obscured. We have all the icons around the church. Why? To remember them all? No. To remember what's actually happening. They're there with us right now in the liturgy. That's why they're there. So when we look around at those icons, we should be thinking, Ah, so wonderful. Look, St. John here is worshipping with us. St. Xenia is here worshipping with us. And all the angels. And in their fully ornamented church, you would also have icons of angels as well. Usually up along the dome and other places. So... These are all reminding us of what is reality, not what we experience. So, so that's our goal. Our goal is very far down the road, right? So that's the small entrance. We're asking for that in the prayer. And of course, St. Yakovos got to actually experience that because his prayers were more efficacious. Um, and so then we have the entrance. And the priest says this little hymn, Come, let us worship and fall down before Christ. Save us, O Son of God, who are risen from the dead, as we chant to you, Alleluia. And that phrase changes along with the, the other times that we have feast days and change that hymn. Questions about anything? Okay. So before we get to the... I think we'll stop before we do the Trisagian hymn, because I wanted to read something. Um, the last class that we did on the liturgy, um, we, I talked a lot about unity, the, how essential it is to have unity. And that's why we say in the liturgy again and again, peace, and peace let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above, for peace in the world. Again, peace, peace, peace. Why? Because we have to be unified. We cannot both be followers of Christ if you and I are at odds. We can't. How can we be a part of the same body if we're at odds? So um, this is from the the prologue of Okrid. This is a a compilation of brief writings about the saints of the day. It also has these little homilies in it as well. Um, And this is one from back in October. The unity of the faith, my brethren, and the knowledge of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior, unites two men in one, unites thousands of men in one. Unity of faith in Christ the Lord and a true orthodox knowledge of Christ the Lord unites men more closely than blood, more closely than language, more closely than any external circumstance or material bond. When many people have one thought, one will, and one desire, then these many people are as one soul, one great and mighty soul. Physical differences in relation to this are of little importance and deserve little consideration. Thus the united souls are built up into a perfect man, the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. 
the parts of the perfect whole are themselves perfect. Every Christian soul is a part of the perfect man. Christ is that perfect man of whom the church is mysteriously the body. He fills all who believe in him with himself, according to the measure of the growth of each. He is the fullness beyond all fullness, the living font that flows and fills every space worthy to receive him. This means that insofar as man has emptied himself of all that is not Christ, to that extent Christ enters into him and fills him to the brim. Oh, my brethren, the depth of humility is needed alongside strong faith, that the living water may be poured into us. Let us look at nature and see how the lowest-lying land is the most easily irrigated. Whatever contributes to the humble abasing of ourselves before the Lord Jesus, this He willingly lets come into us, and He waters us with His life-giving self and fills us as His vessels with the fullness of His immortality. O Lord Jesus, fullness of life, wisdom, beauty, and sweetness, help us to abase ourselves before your divine majesty, that we may be made worthy of your coming to us. To you be glory and praise forever. Amen. That's the importance of unity. That's how we become the one body in Christ. So, with a few more minutes left, any questions? Now, I wanted to open up to questions about last week as well, in case there was anything that percolated in your mind over the last week. If not, that's okay. But, any questions? Yes, Eleni. I just have a question about the... Um, I've always wondered this, and we're talking about the, um, the Lord's Supper, the uh-huh. first So, I don't know how other priests do it, but I assure you, every one of those prayers I say silently. Or usually with a whisper, sometimes, you know, slightly audible, so people can hear that that's occurring. Um, So, you know, there are different practices with different priests, but what I will say, it has been the universal practice of the church to read those prayers in silence. So uh, I know that there are some parishes out there where they practice other things, and you know that that's for the pastoral reasons of that priest. But um, that has been the universal practice of the church because it really gets back to what's going on here. What's going on in liturgy? What are we doing? And what are we doing? Worshiping God. Worshiping God. Does that require that each of us have to hear every word that is occurring? No, because of us hearing the word occurring, what does that mean? I'm being edified. And yes, thanks be to God if I'm edified, but that's not the purpose of the liturgy. The purpose of the liturgy is not our edification. That's like a a side thing that is good and beneficial, but that's not the purpose. It is not education. We are greatly edified and educated by the liturgy, but the purpose is worship. So when that prayer is offered, that prayer is offered to God by everyone. Whether they hear it or not, whether they read it or not, whether it's in another language or not, that prayer is offered to God. So it is towards God. We have to think of all of these things towards God. The choir is towards God. The people towards God. The priest towards God. It's not like the priest towards the people. Other than the homily, that's a different time. And the reading of the epistle and the gospel. Those are for specifically for the people. You can tell why. 
the priest is turned around, right? The priest is facing the people. So that, that if that helps to clarify a little bit, but you know, I, I don't know. They're, they're, sometimes those those things that are read silently, perhaps they're done in a, a half-hearted manner. You know, I don't know. Um, I will say it's always a struggle to say them in earnest. I can read through the prayers, and sometimes my earnestness is there, and sometimes it's not. So, and that's to my own incrimination. So, yeah. say to that, sometimes it's, uh, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. That we pray the prayer even though we don't fully get it and understand. And that gives us. So it's, it's a symbiotic thing as well. Um, but yes, absolutely. Those, the effectiveness of the prayers, and St. Yaakovos is another good example of that. The ways in which he supplicated St. David of Evia and St. John the Russian, I mean, it's shocking to us. Like he would go into the church. This is he received so much from from St. David of Evia, who was the, the founder of the monastery where he was at. And they had the skull of St. David as a relic. And he would go before the skull and he would say, St. David, I need you to do this. If you don't, then I won't bring your skull out tomorrow to venerate. <laughs> but we hear that and we realize like, he really knows this person is real. And really sees that this person is alive in Christ and doing real things in real life. And for us, it's mostly kind of intellectual and a stretch, you know. I hope they do that. I'll pray for it, you know. So, yeah, question. Well, that said, with the saints, the Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so all those who are alive in Christ. So, yeah. Now, if we want to be more specific, they're not in heaven because that's what's granted at the second coming of Christ, but they're getting a foretaste of that. And they are worshiping, absolutely. Our worship doesn't stop. So, yeah. um, this is a bit off, but there, there's, there's something different in the Greek uh, liturgy, maybe it's the modern version that I, that's different to how I experience, and that's when they say the doors to doors. Uh-huh. Now, I've always understood that to be kind of a holdover from when it was like we get out the catechism. Yeah. Catech- Catechumens, yeah. And but this but the way it's worded it almost seems like they're kind of reworking that to be the doors the doors to wisdom, let us attend, like almost like the doors of our perception. Yeah, it should be in wisdom. That's a translation. Um yeah, Tastiras, Tastiras, and Sophia Proskomen. N means in. So, um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure why this translation says to wisdom. But the, the Greek has been the same for 1,500 years. Tastiras, tastiras, and Sophia Proskomen. So, yeah. Yeah, and we'll get to that. Okay, thank you. We're at time, so let's finish with a prayer, shall we? If you have other questions, you can come up. I'm going to modify the prayer at the entrance. O Master, Lord, our God, who established in heaven the orders and hosts of angels and archangels to minister to your glory, grant that your holy angels may enter into our lives and that we together may glorify your goodness. For you, to you are due our glory, honor, and worship. To the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. God bless you.